Dear Diary, today I take the next step, the next step in being an ADHD life coach at Indigo Hub. I can't believe it's happening. I want to build, create and discover a place for us to truly be ourselves. I think this journey will be... Dear Diary, welcome world to the Indigo Diaries and welcome to our Series 3, The World Through Our Eyes with your host me, Tasha Hickson. The Indigo Diaries is a podcast for those who want to learn about ADHD through others and our own experiences. I'm very excited yet again, I can't believe I'm having another guest yet again. 2023 has really, really been a guest uh, year and I always say, I always say at the start of the session that I'm so excited to meet um, and get somebody on here and meet new people. Because I just really love exploring and being curious in conversations. You know, I am a, I am neurodivergent. So, but today is a, a topic and a person that's quite close to what I do and an expert in the field that I can really relate to. And this is the first time where I've really had somebody that I that uh, with our niches are very similar, and uh, that makes me very very even more excited than I usually am. So, welcome to Frank. Hello. So. Today we're doing a start in the conversation where we start a conversation about a topic of interest and we dive deep into it. So let me tell you a bit about Frank. Frank is a formally accredited neurodiversity coach with lived experience of dyspraxia and ADHD. His diagnosis came later in life at 23 and 30 respectfully, only after graduating university and several years of professional experience in the corporate world. Without realising it, he'd spent 30 years learning the importance of self-management the hard way without having any coaching of his own or anyone to turn to with his questions. This in turn triggered his decision to retrain to be a neurodiversity coach for people with ADHD, autism and other neurological disorders. Nowadays, he works primarily with younger adults of 16 to 35 on helping them better understanding themselves a lot of strengths to reach their goals. So very, very close to what to kind of my heart and the area that I like too. So I always start to ask this first question. Oh, I forgot to say, if you want the full bio, please look in the, the description below. So, Frank, tell me what's your like. You, it says a bit in your bio, but like, what's your connection to this area and this field with with your own experience? Yeah. So, um, first of all, thank you for having me on. Really excited uh, to be here. Yeah, and I think uh, when we first met and we first spoke, I think we first sort of instantly bonded over you know um, similar sort of uh, age groups and similar yeah. age groups that we coach as well, and. Um, for me personally, as you sort of touched on there in the intro, is that um, I had known for almost my whole life that I think differently and that I sort of have all these ideas and loads of sort of fun and positivity and optimism and, and sort of think, you know, solutions to things that perhaps other people weren't seeing. And I, and I sort of like being creative in that way. And, um, and yet it came with a lot of sort of anxiety and, and frustration and emotion and, and um, challenges at times and as you said there I, I wasn't diagnosed with my ADHD until I was 30 and I thought well I can't go back in time I can't change that I can't change how I felt but I can change hopefully other people's experiences of, of living mm -hmm. with ADHD of, of that sort of self-acceptance that sort of change um, you know how it can impact your life how you can master it and there are loads of positives as well as challenges and so yeah, I thought the next best thing, if I can't go back in time to when I was 15, um, 16, the next best thing I can do is, is work with that sort of younger age group. So um, like you, uh, a lot of my um, a lot of my coaches, a lot of my clients are sort of 16 to 25, really, really varies. But um, 
yeah I love it wouldn't change it for the world I love that and it's that thing of like yeah we I mean we had a very similar ethos when we first met about that kind of that age group but what I'm curious there like going like that like what difference could it have made if you'd had a coach back then do you know what that's a really interesting question because I've never even thought about it what difference could it have made I think um something that I mentioned the last time we spoke um, was the change curve this sort of Kubler-Ross model of change I'm sure you'll put in the notes I, I sort of love it I live by it I mention it to a lot of people um particularly at their point of diagnosis and what was really interesting is is like for in in my case I just dived straight from you know what is at the beginning there's like shock denial anger that sort of thing um, and in my case, I just dived straight into acceptance. It just suddenly everything made sense. I, and for, I know for a lot of people, that's that's not the case. Um, mm. And they they are perhaps in that shock phase or in that denial phase or perhaps anger phase. And I think one of the reasons that I was so quick to jump into that acceptance phase was because I'd sort of spent the last 30 years processing it without really realizing that I was processing it and sort of working out the hard way. Oh, okay. This works for me. This um, this doesn't. Um, I'm I'm really good at this, and yet I'm terrible at that. And sort of working out my little cheat sheets, I guess, for myself um, in the home, in the workplace, at school, um, to to try and get there. So yeah, I think I'd sort of been managing it by accident. Um, and so what would have coach have done? It would have maybe sped that process up, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have maybe sort of made that self-acceptance, self-compassion piece um, that our good friend ADHD Alex is really big on, Alex Campbell, um, a bit a bit easier. Um, and I think it would have saved a lot of frustration along the way. But equally, uh, it's made me the coach I am today to have gone through that. So yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, and I like that. It's like appreciating that where you have come, you know, you were diagnosed at 30, but you jumped into that acceptance, which is amazing to go into that kind of, "Ah, I can do this now, this makes sense. And I know for me, and I did the exact same. I went into this, I didn't really worry about the past because I was just so happy with this knowledge that I'd got ADHD. It was like, right, what can I do? So what, like, what were you finding in, I know, like, I, I kind of got my thing, but I'm curious, like, with, with that age group, kind of that 14 to 18 or 25, like, what are you noticing are the biggest challenges with ADHD? Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting one. Um, I think for one, you know, compared to certainly when we were that age, uh, there's uh, a million and one social media platforms that uh, I know I'm sort of outing our age here. Sorry, Tasha. <laughs> But, but Facebook didn't come out till I was 17, 18. So uh, it sort of gives you an indication, you know, to be sort of 13 and growing up with TikTok and, and like seven other social media accounts is exposes you to a world that, that um, you know, no other generation has really had before at that age. So um, I think one is sort of coming to terms with real information versus misinformation, sort of making sure are you following sources that are fact-checked and fact-based? Um, that's one. I think secondly is... Um, to do with that a degree of sort of social stigma Um, being a teenager being a young adult is not fun at the best of times Um, there's a lot of change in life as your sort of body changes and perhaps changing environments as well Um, and so that sort of social acceptance of like you know can I talk about this can I share this do I feel comfortable who am I what am I about Um, there's a lot of um, sort of anxiety around that um, in in general at that age Um, and then you know, now um, 
I speak to parents all the time, as, a, as I'm sure you do, that sort of say, oh, I'm worried I'm too late. And I remind them, you know, whilst it's not for me to, to tell you how to parent um, or anything like that, uh, you know, my, my diagnosis wasn't to 30 and my mum's came as a result of mine um, in her in her 60s. So whilst collectively we'll all do the absolute best for seeing their child and your child and whoever, um, you know, I'm a really big believer that um, it is what you make of it. And I would have loved to have found out about it at sort of 14, 15 um, to have given me that extra sort of 15 year head start that, that I eventually ended up getting. Mm. But then I suppose that's what you're doing and what we do for the people, right, is to help them get that head start. And because the earlier, the better, but it is what you make of it, right? If you get the diagnosis at 10, 20, 50, 90, I heard the other thing, you know, wow. it's just about right, what can you do with it now? Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think a, a huge amount of it is sort of like figuring out what it means for you um you know could be goals it could be you know life it could be relationships I know that um sort of understanding it has really helped relationships with the people around me in terms of how I communicate things how we communicate to each other um yeah I'm, I'm curious actually to know about your experience Tash and sort of what you think I'm turning the tables here but uh what what's um something that you see a lot in terms of the teenagers and, and younger adults well, you threw me off now. <laughs> um, I find a bit like what you said, like, I think the ADHD challenges specifically and like, the neurodivergence challenges are difficult. And I think I call it the impacts of having kind of being neurodivergent in this world that I find are a lot harder to cope with. Because I kept hearing you use the word anxiety, right? And that anxiety and acceptance around being neurodivergent and around needing to do things a different way I find is a lot harder and having that compassion acceptance a lot harder to deal with than I don't know you know being disorganized you know getting to your homework together the stress of having to get your homework together or doing it in a different way or accepting that you might need more prompts or you might need to do it in a different way to your friends is what I find a huge and I know for me personally that was a that was probably even more impactful than the actual being the ADHD kind of symptoms or challenges themselves. Yeah, and I I completely agree with everything you just said. It's fascinating, and the the frustrating thing can be as well when you know you're doing something that will work, but because it's done in a different way yeah. or people sort of don't understand, it's slightly unorthodox. They're like, "What are you doing? You know, what is that?" And just sometimes you just say like trust the process I know I'll, I'll get there or I'm, I'll get you what you want it just not might be it might not be the way that you would have done it um but I'm I'm pretty sure it would be if just as good if not as better yeah. yeah and it's the pressures of the social side as well of like being seen as different and being seen as is because I know a lot of teenagers just want to fit in right we just want to fit in and have that group of friends that get it but in order to do that we have to suppress a lot of a lot of what kind of our differences and what our greatness is what do you what do you find with kind of the social element with teens with ADHD yeah it's a really interesting one and I think a lot of it touches on on that sort of social media piece that we talked about mm -hmm. um you know certainly compared to even just a, a, a few you know a couple of years ago there's so much more sort of presence now on social media of 
neurodiversity, both sort of good and bad. Um, as I said, I'm always a little bit wary about the misinformation that people might stumble across and mm-hmm. you know, the fact that sort of anyone can build themselves as a social media creator, but not necessarily have the background or have the lived experience. Yeah. And I think for me, the, the training as well as the lived experience is really important. I think having one alone is not enough. Um, but for me, I, I see a lot as well about um, you know, medication and things like that, or movies sort of glamorizing something or demonizing something. You know, um, a lot of people I come across, they'll, they'll have watched the movie Limitless with Bradley Cooper, and they'll think <laughs> medication is going to make them like that, and they're going to sort of unlock 150% of their brain and, and life will be okay. But, um, you know, as whilst everyone's experience is different, and I wouldn't ever give medical advice on, on that, mm-hmm. um, it's a good example of how something can be really sort of taken with and, and run uh, run with in a particular direction that might then sort of steer people in a particular in a particular way that they might not have otherwise gone down themselves yeah and I think that's really crucial what you said there about kind of that like the it's almost like that stereotype what ADHD is in the world or the meds or this or that which then I find that a lot of teens then don't want to admit they've got it so it's almost like that or I don't want to get help I don't want to go you know when you go to uni you get you get the DSA I don't want that because I don't want to appear like I need help because of the stereotypes or the misinformation that's actually being fed out about these things yeah absolutely and and then obviously you've got the sort of different dynamics as well between generations as well so um some um, you know younger people might be more um accepting as we said going back to that sort of change curve other times it's it's sometimes led by the parent um, sometimes it might be that one can see it in the other, but not in themselves. Uh, as we know, there's a sort of strong genetic link with, with mm-hmm. neurodiversity and ADHD and these sort of things. So um, often I sort of say, if, if someone comes to me and says, oh, my son is ADHD or, or whoever, um, I'll say, you know, without sort of telling you or you know, being able to, to prescribe you or anything like that, diagnose you, um, is it possible that it could be, could be elsewhere in your family? And because I know certainly, as I said, um, within my family, sort of half of us are a particular way, shall we say. And when I got my diagnosis, it led to my mum's, my uncle, we said, look at my grandma. Wow. And it was just really clear, like, oh, that's sort of what this is, right? That's mm. sort of given us a real sense of understanding. It also explained why our um, bonds were so close, because I think we sort of understood that we were um, different, even within our, our kind of close clan, as, you know, of mm. our family. Um, and, and so that can be quite challenging for families. It can be quite polarizing. You know, I'm sure, um, you know, you've seen it all as well, where sort of, so it can be really uh, big stages of, of denial on one side or the other um, or both. And as a coach or as someone in this sort of space, it's never our job to tell anyone what to do or, or how to react. It's, it's really just a case of, sort of being being there when when they need you. And it's a, it's, it is a lot, and I think there's a, there's a lot about the individual, but it is a lot for everybody, right? It is, it is to get that diagnosis, and then everybody in that family has got to kind of figure out their own, because it's a change for not only the person with ADHD to figure that knowledge out, but also the whole family. What, like, dynamics do you notice when, like, somebody gets diagnosed at, like, I don't know, young adult or teen? Yeah, it's interesting because um, as we sort of touched on in both of our cases, we sort of felt that everything made sense. Mm. And 
and it suddenly becomes all you want to talk about <laughs> in, in lots of cases. And so there's, there's definitely an element of that in which families or individuals are sort of processing that together. That I, um, is this particular challenge that we have related to ADHD or is that just, a, is that just you, is that personality thing? And so, you know, I'm always wary as well of sort of blaming everything on, on ADHD or any, on a particular condition because I don't think it's an excuse to sort of hide behind, um, you know, in terms of, I don't think it excuses bad behavior, um, but it gives us a reason for understanding ourselves. We're like, okay, this is my tendency. This is my sort of um, where I might go. And bringing that to the forefront, having a really open, honest conversation, um, explaining like, actually the reason I did that was because I thought this, and then having someone across the table say, well, actually that's not at all what, I meant when I said this really helps you then navigate and build the bridge of that communication. So you sort of end up in the place where you both want to be, whether that's a you know mom, dad, sibling, parent, um, godparent, um, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Yeah, I think that's really key there. And, and what I was thinking about earlier when you were talking is like a lot of parents come to me, I don't know about you, but they say like, what's the difference between ADHD and being a teenager? <laughs> what are your thoughts on that wow um it's funny because I uh, never knew I had ADHD when I was a teenager so I wouldn't actually I've never actually given that much thought um what I'd say to that is that um you know being a teenager is a complex period of life anyway yeah. and having a diagnosis around that time can in one hand be you think, oh, a bit of a curse, like, oh, I'm, I'm already going through teenagerhood and puberty and all these things, and I've got this diagnosis to grapple with. On the other hand, it could be a sort of a blessing where you're like, well, actually, because I'm going all through, through all that, is this just another one that I can add in and I'll sort of go through it together and I don't have to go through it twice? Um, and different, again, different people re will react in different ways. Um, in terms of what it's like to just be a teenager, um, who can really say because no two people have ever been the same teenagers so um, yeah it's not something I would encourage people to hide behind but equally I wouldn't I would invite people to to think about what it means for them in, in that broader sense yeah and I think that's really crucial like what is the experience like for you and like sometimes it gets to the point where it's like oh it's ADHD so I've got to like not excuse that or you know and that sort of thing and we don't want to it's an explanation we don't want to use it as an excuse but it's that thing of what is the teen and what is the ADHD but also what is their experience of it and I find that sometimes people I know I did when I first diagnosed ADHD all I want to talk about was ADHD and all I want to do is talk about ADHD and like my partner said to me like Tash like ADHD is not a person like we got to stop like <laughs> everything you're Tash and ADHD is part of you but it's not all of you and I was like oh yeah and that in it's that thing of what's your experience versus what's the ADHD's experience, right? It's that it's trying to take from all that encompassing thing and really going deep into that open, honest conversation. Yeah, it's such an interesting one, isn't it? Because we might even the language we use uh, differs at different times. So we might use different language at different times. And you know, sometimes you'll hear me or other people say like, oh, I'm I have ADHD or as an ADHDer. Or, you know, I, and I know, I know within the autism community as well, where I know you're much more sort of um, 
able to advise on this but i know the language piece is really big in in the community about you know is it i am autistic or do i have autism and these sorts of things and i think they can be really powerful but to be honest um i probably not given it enough thought and effort until relatively recently to really think about the language i'm using to not reinforcing the stereotypes either way it's like what you said earlier about it's your own definition it's your own experience right if you're a teen and all that it's your experience and then what that means to you and then what you want to do about that right and it is about you know it is your own yeah yeah exactly and I've seen some really beautiful examples of of people really capturing that um a couple of fellow coaches of mine um quite visual in nature and I've seen their sort of paintings and visual representations um another one I know writes beautiful poetry and they sort of capture it what it means for them in in that way and I think that's really sort of beautiful way of capturing you know what is often we feel as like a part of ourselves that maybe isn't often expressed in the easiest way um so it goes to show that it can be sort of ex- expressed in a different way yeah and that's a quite a nice humble ending for the first part uh, and we're going to come back after the break and we're going to carry on talking about maybe going into the adulthood and what it's like after the teenage year because that's where things really start to crumble with the life stuff and we'll talk about how ADHD impacts that and we're out if you would like any more information on Indigo Hub or our Indigo support group then please check out our website below or our link to our social media platforms or email at indigohub.adhd at gmail.com. If you would like to offer any comments, feedback, get support, or if you're interested in the world hearing your story, then please reach out through any of our avenues. As said before, have a positive week. Check in again later. And we're out. And we're back. And we actually didn't do too bad in the, the in the uh, break today. Why usually I end up talking for 10 minutes. But I think my awareness is growing about the break times with uh, with guests. So uh, we're back with Frank. If you've not listened to the first half, why now? Because we were having a really good in-depth conversation about kind of teenage and what it's like to have ADHD at that age. And now we were kind of talking about kind of going into that adulthood. So what do you find a kind of key impact of ADHD when kind of we get past that school part Mm. yeah so like many other sort of neurological conditions ADHD impacts different people in different ways and typically ADHD is something that's seen as being worse as a child but I actually think I got worse as an adult or as a teenager um, in terms of focus I know was definitely one um may or may not be tied into Facebook coming in when I was a later later teenager as well, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but but other things as well, you know, sort of just just day-to-day organization. And and as your um expected accountability goes up as an adult, you don't necessarily always feel that well equipped to deal with it. You know, you've suddenly, you know, one minute you're at, at school uh, as a child and you're sort of drawing pictures, and next minute you're writing thousand word essays, and the next minute you're doing your A-levels and that's sort of tough. And then the next minute you're at university and you're thinking, 
hang on a minute, I've got to walk across, you know, 40 minutes to get somewhere I don't know. I've got to pick up these books I don't know anything about from a place I don't know. And, and you know, extrapolating that into terms of paying bills and all these other things as you, as you get older. That for me, that jump was just so big. I really, really wasn't prepared for it. Um, and it sort of made me grow up quite fast. Again, as we said earlier, sort of the hard way, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I think it, nowadays more than ever, there's just so much complexity around, you know, you need an app for everything, which means you need a password for everything, which means you need to never lose your phone ever. <laughs> and if you do, your life is over. And, you know, this can be quite uh, a lot to navigate when, mm. as you said, you know, you're growing up and you've already got so many other things to worry about. I think that is a really good point about the complexity, right? Because I find you, I find, um, someone said to me the other week, I thought it was really funny, like when you, you're almost like in cotton wool when you're at school. And I'm not saying that it, school is easy with, with no development, because it is not, it is not easy. But when you're in cotton wool, like, like you, you know, if you've got good support systems, your school are good, you know, you've got more external structure, external accountability. So you don't need that much autonomy or responsibility. And then boom, you get to uni or you get to a job or you whatever choices you make. And it's that I've got to be responsible for myself. I've got to clean up, do this. And it's so complex for the ADHD mind. Yeah, completely. I have never worked in a bar, but I always thought like that would be my worst nightmare because yeah. I've got phenomenal long term memory, but absolutely terrible short term memory. Just ask my partner, who's always, you know, um, on my case because I forgot something she said a minute ago and I'm trying I promise but um, you know something like a bar job for example where there's so much change so much transition so much sort of um, interaction that might only last 30 seconds um, you know all those sort of student type jobs that are quite high churn quite a lot of ex exposure to new things um, there's a lot of take a lot to take on uh, in in the short period of time and as you said, just sort of one minute, you're just ex you're wrapped up in cotton wool. And then the next minute you're expected to you know, pay your taxes on time. And and by and large, I'm sure, you know, we all sort of get there in the end. Um, but at that sort of period comes with a lot of um, uncertainty, doesn't it? Yeah. And a lot of stress. I, I know I worked in a bar, I lasted three hours trial and then cried in the toilet and was like, no. They were like, do you want the job? I said, no. I was like coming out crying like never went back to that place ever again after a three-hour trial it is just the, the worst thing what what do you find like when when they come out of that age group that 18 year old like like there's just so many choices of what to do next what do you find with that with that kind of thing yeah there's that sort of paradox of choice isn't there that you sort of you would think as a human being that the more choice the better but it's sort of one of the reasons when you get onto a plane and find watching a movie a lot easier than when you're at home is because on the plane there might be 20 movies uh, and on Netflix there are like 50,000 and you spend an hour and a half choosing the movie and then 10 minutes watching it and decide you don't like it. Um, so yeah, that, I think there's definitely something around, you know, being constructively um, limiting, I guess, in terms of, of your options. And I, I know that might sound negative, but actually I think because we, um, as ADHD brain sort of love lots of things and get really excited by things and have a new hobby a lot of the time. We're sort of starters, not finishers. Um, a lot of the time I'm generalizing, of course, yeah. um, not always. Um, but I think there's something around, you know, for every yes is like recognizing what I'm saying no to. Um, so 
if I'm going in this particular direction, like actually it's going to come at a cost of X. And it could be um, time spent with people. It could be time traveling. It could be money. It could be, you know, that cost could come in different things uh, in different ways. But yeah, thinking to ourselves like, okay, I might not necessarily want to do this forever and that's absolutely fine, but can I sort of limit myself to two or three choices and go with the best one of that rather than stressing about trying to do all million and then not getting anywhere? Yeah, yeah, that paralysis. But uh, something I find as well, just an idea that came from when you were talking there, is the expectation. Mm. So like, I know for me, when I was that age, it was expected to go to university and then get a job and then stay in that job for 45 years, get your pension, get a house, get married, have kids. I have done none of those. <laughs> I have done none of those things. Um, but it's that thing of the, of the expectations and what that can do and why a lot of people do think of so many choices yeah and the, like you said there about the long careers is a really interesting one so um in my previous life before I became a coach I worked for lots of different food and drink brands and mm. you can have a look at my CVs on LinkedIn but uh the reason I mentioned that is because pretty much like clockwork sort of every 18 months or so I would want to move role and people would after a while they'd say well you know whoa what's wrong so that you're moving every 18 months and I would say no it's nothing wrong I just ready for a new challenge I'm just I'm excited about this and um you know never wanting to stagnate and and actually I saw that as a positive I was like the reason that I'm in this interview the reason that you sort of are interested in me is because of my previous experience and the fact I've worked at lots of different places and had lots of different jobs makes me I think a really good fit for the role and so there was an interesting dynamic of you know people trying to have both sides like they don't want you to move around forever like they want you to stay there for a long time but they equally want your experience that you've got for moving around loads and so for me there was something around becoming really comfortable with the fact that that's what I'm going to do and not apologizing for it either yeah and I love that that you made that just the way you said that you made that into a positive experience right rather than oh, he's moved around because he's got ADHD, he can't, he gets bored, oh, no, he can't keep a job, to, oh, I've actually got a lot of vast experience of turning it more into a strength and working with yourself versus working against yourself and working with your own expectation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 that sort of took some time mm. um, to, to get to that sort of narrative in my own mind. Um, but, you know, once I got there, I realised that actually... Um, there is a lot of positive coming out of this mm-hmm. yeah oh, I love that sorry I'm, I was lacking transfer no because it, it's so it's so true that a lot of people with ADHD that they spend a lot of time going oh no I need to do this but, th- but then I suppose that comes back to what we we're talking about with teenagers earlier got to mm-hmm. do it in a certain way because I don't know on I don't know on TikTok people say you've got to do it like this or you've got to go to uni to get a good job or all this miscommunication where we just need to look inside ourselves. Mm. Yeah, completely. I um, saw a fantastic talk the other day uh, by Samantha Hugh. Uh, she's amazing. Um, she does a lot of work around to ADHD and women in particular. Uh, my mum and I went together, which was a load of fun. Um, and she had, I think really early on in her presentation, she had a Venn diagram. So three circles of um, like training, work and education um, as one empowerment on the other side and then sort of bridging the two worlds is that middle one where and I I thought that was just really really beautiful way of of summarizing exactly 
the journey that so many of us coaches have gone on and so many of people with their own ADHD, you know, outside of the world of coaching have gone on in terms of bridging those two things of learning about what it means for you and, and how to you know, own the narrative, but then equally making sure you're doing it in a way that's sort of empowering and, and educational and sort of, you know, right. Yeah. yeah, so it's almost like doing it your own way, but then still kind of encompassing that kind of you're moving forward and doing what you need to be doing. Yeah, I love totally. that. Yeah, it's like so something comes up there. It's like doing the washing, right? I know this is going to sound very random. Doing the washing is empowering, but it is got something that's got to be done, right? It's got to be done, but you don't have to do it when people go just do it. You don't have to do it where you put it on. Then as soon as it finishes, you're there. You take it out, then you put it on, and then you fold it so immaculate, and then it goes away. Like it has to be done, but you've got to find it empowering and doing it in your own way. Yeah, and there's a sort of common belief, I guess, that action or output sort of comes from motivation. So mm. you know, I need to be motivated and then I can get this done. And actually, some a lot of the time it's the other way around. It's like, I've just folded one T-shirt. That action has created the motivation that actually there's a few more to go, but I've done one. So like that's enough to get me motivated and I'm just going to whip, you know, like whip through these in no time and then I can get on with whatever. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of, a, that was a big realization for me as well, actually. It's like, you don't always need to be planned for everything. Sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and it might be a bit rough around the edges or whatever, but getting going is often just, just what you need to sort of keep going actually, even though it doesn't yeah. feel like it to begin with. Yeah. I like the word momentum versus mm. motivation right when you get the momentum then the motivation incentive comes from that yeah you're right yeah and actually I, I very nearly call my business sort of centered around momentum like something nice. around momentum I'd sort of spent ages on it and I just couldn't quite work it out but um so in the end I settled for something completely different but I'm like you I love the word momentum I think yeah particularly with um you know our ADHD minds and sort of getting rolling and what we know about procrastination and things like that actually momentum can be such a, a helpful positive thing and that's why you know so much of what I've talked about and you've talked about today mm. is about sort of involving other people as well in a really sort of positive way to to get momentum for everyone's benefit yeah what what do you find like I'm going to bring momentum into this now <laughs> why not what do you what do you find stops people's momentum in that young adult age group Ooh. Um, a lot of the time, unfortunately, I think it's a self-doubt, um, it's a lack of self-belief. Um, it, it, you know, we talk a lot about RSD, rejects, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. So that sort of heightened um, reaction to what we perceive as, as negative feedback or criticism. And I think that can play a part in it. So, you know, maybe... If, if weight loss is your goal or if work is your goal or whatever and you've sort of been seeing progress and then it might just take one small thing um, and that sort of puts you off. I remember um, a sort of small trivial but real example is that I'd been learning to juggle. I was traveling with um, some juggling balls and yeah. I was rubbish. I was rubbish. But the point was um, I was doing it while I was traveling and I sort of figured if I try it over a period of time, I'll get there eventually. And I, I was getting to a point where I was slightly better and I could have three in the air vaguely. Um, and then someone said to me, yeah, you're rubbish. <laughs> and that was it. And I, I never picked them up again. 
Um, I sort of gave them away to a little, you know, to a little child. So that's an example, I think, of the momentum. And it can be so small and it can be big. Um, and it doesn't really matter which. Um, and I think, you know, looking at that example, I would quite like to continue to learn how to juggle. Um, but it, it is a good um, sort of real parallel of, of the other things that we might experience as a teenager or, you know, younger adult going through a lot of change yeah and I find that I don't know about you I, th I think that juggling one's a brilliant example is that a lot of that yeah again comes from expectations and that thing of you've got to do it this way and you've got to do it for this amount of time and other people's expectations that we sometimes bring on to ourselves of, and then that creates the doubt yeah I completely agree and I think one of I'm not massive on social media one of the reasons I'm not is because of exactly what you've just said i think there's a real culture of celebrating sort of amazing skill or you know recognizing people who are truly experts but there's not a culture of acknowledging the steps that they took to get there um and i find that really disheartening like there are so many people who'd love to be amazing footballers uh, magicians jugglers you know coaches whatever field you know uh, scientists whatever field you want to be in, who are put off because they see people's end result and they're sort of judging where they are now, maybe at the beginning of their journey, based on where other people are at the end of theirs or, or you know, yeah. after sort of thousands of hours of practice. And I think there's not enough recognition in society for how much people are trying or how, how trying is important, is yeah. an important skill that we've sort of lost the sight of, you know. Um, you see a lot of people with like 2 million followers and, and they've got these amazing like travel videos or drone videos or whatever hobby you might be into. And you think, oh, I'm, I'm never going to start editing videos because I'll never be as good as that. But you're sort of forgetting that they've probably spent a huge amount of time to get there. And yeah. um, I feel that's a real shame that it's a, um, we're put off for that reason. Yeah, because you can't do it enough. What's coming to me is like, it's like when I started uh, kind of coaching, I thought, oh no, I'm not, not going to be able to do this. Like, because you'd see all these coaches and like, oh, I've got all these clients, and I'd be like, oh no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But then, but then you, but then when you, when you turn that noise off, that it's just your own expectations. Mm. And I always used to say, like with this podcast, if I get one person listening, then that's worth it, because one person might have, I don't know, how do I say, changed their life, but one person might have learned something or got something from it and that's why I don't look at my numbers and people are like, oh you need to look no I don't because I know that it will put me off if I do yeah I, sp I speak to so many people who um are uh who work for themselves in different in mm. different sort of industries and all sorts of things creative ones like musicians and, and whatever um and often they say that once you make your passion your job it stops being fun because as you said they're starting to have to pay the rent on it or whatever it might be. And the, you know, the, the reason they started in the first place was because they loved it. And as you said, if you start getting distracted by the numbers, it can sort of change your behavior in a way that maybe you, you don't feel so comfortable with or, or want to do. And that goes back into this teenage and the, the young adult. If, if I don't know, someone says, Oh, you need to go to uni, but really you wanted to do, I don't know, an apprenticeship. And it's like, oh, I'll go to go uni because that's what everyone wants me to do. And then you stop doing what you want to do 
and try and do what everybody else wants or you go into there and then you quit halfway because you can't I don't know get your first assignment in the way that everybody else needs to and it what I'm hearing throughout this whole conversation is just about kind of what's your own experience with ADHD and you know what are your own expectations yeah and you know you touched on there so that early career you know whether it's like apprenticeships or anything like that it's a good way of just trying things right you know getting a job you know there's, there's absolutely opportunity to go to uni later in life if that is something you want to do but I think looking back at, at how I grew up there was uh, it wasn't like I was put under specific pressure or anything mm-hmm. certainly not by my family or anything like that but there was just never a scenario in any of my sort of friends family you know, broader school context or anything of this is what you might do if you don't go to uni there was just never yeah. that option because it was just so ingrained in you that you would go it was more just a case of which one are you going to yeah and I think the advantage now that you know younger adults have is like because we're so even more connected and there's things that didn't even exist five ten years ago you could make Uh you know a sort of side hustle like drop shipping your your career if you wanted to or you know all these sorts of things that I see people talk about don't understand half of them but I see loads of people having loads of fun and, you know, mm-hmm. getting loads of success out of it. And that for me is always a good thing when someone's sort of tried it, bit of fun and, and, to, and run with it rather than being forced into whatever it is that they weren't convinced to begin with and definitely won't be convinced with three or four or five years down the line. Yeah. And that comes to like, back to like going to school and having to sit there and do it their way because we're not, we're not taught that there's any other option it's like it's like you've got to you know you've got to fit in you've got to go with the crowd but actually don't you can be who you are do it your own way obviously in certain you know things but it is that thing of you know going outside the lines yeah totally totally agree oh, oh this has been great i've learned so much i wrote <laughs> so many notes every time i speak to someone i write so many notes so Likewise. what are you kind of any kind of your own words any kind of your own last words to kind of summarize what we spoke about today? Oh, the pressure. Um, well, as is usual in our conversations, it sort of went in a, about a thousand different directions. Um, <laughs> but I think if I were to really th- summarize it, it would be something along the lines of recognizing that there is no one route in life, and that's true for everyone. Um, th- I often um, think about the analogy of a sort of uh, 100 meter racer for example you you think of like the olympics and they're all sort of lined up in the same starting point and there's the same sort of finishing line and for us we don't all start in the same place we don't all end in the same place and so um basing our decisions for ourselves based on the experiences and the judgments of others isn't isn't always going to be that helpful so for me it really comes down to sort of um carving out whatever um, opportunities you can for yourself and staying true to yourself along the way oh wow I'm gonna literally have to write that down <laughs> that's brilliant I'll need to use that I'll copy right here so what kind of encouragement are you leaving us with today yeah so um I thought long and hard about this but um I as, as weird as it sounds because it's you know quite a deep uh, depressing book if uh, the Great Gatsby has a, yeah. has a phenomenal sort of opening page where um, they say, uh, the author says, you know, whenever you feel like criticizing anyone, 
Um, just remember that all the people in this world haven't had the advantages that you've had. And I think it's such a sort of beautifully sort of sentimental um, it, sort of capturing of ADHD can be both a, a blessing and a curse, or it can it can feel like a good thing and it can feel like a struggle. And actually, whilst we might sometimes have days where it's okay to feel sorry for ourselves or feel a bit down, actually there are times when there are a lot of times when I do things that I couldn't do if I didn't have ADHD. So I'm sort of thankful for that. Um, and yeah, I, I thought I'd finish on that because it, it captures what I think are both sides of the coin, shall we say. Yeah. And, you know, we might might start, I don't know, a bit behind on mm. the 100 metres, but we might go to 125. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. without sort of derailing you, I think that's exactly it, is that um, it's easy to get caught up in thinking that we're behind and actually you don't realise like I'm just getting started but I'm going at a much faster speed and I'm going to be overtaking yeah. a lot of people pretty soon yeah awesome yeah amazing so what I want to know well I know where I can find you but where can listeners find you <laughs> so my website is consciousclarity.co.uk uh, nightmare to uh, spell out uh, lots of c's and s's and, and that sort of thing but um, yeah it's all about sort of uh, the, the vision I wanted to leave people with uh, when they have my coaching so being really conscious and aware and clear uh, in their direction um, and on LinkedIn I haven't got around to the TikTok yet maybe maybe one of your young listeners would offer to run it for me or something but uh, no just just there for now yeah I'm not on TikTok either I, I refuse to download it I absolutely refuse but that's and anything that you didn't notice it's below uh, in the description so if you want to find frank if you want to find out about coaching or just ask him any questions then please get into contact thank you so much for having me no thank you so we leave another and leave another amazing person and another great episode and an amazing guest expert and if you're interested in coming on as a guest you want to pick my brain have questions or want to share your experience then please reach out through our social media avenues and email Come learn, listen, and experience the world through not my eyes, but our eyes. Why not? And as Frank said, right? Momentum. Keep it going. And we're out. Dear Diary, as Indigo Hub's process goes on, it makes me stop and wonder. Could there be more for us? More light, more experience, and more ways to see the world through our own eyes. I think this journey will be... Shh.